All right. Um, so what I wanted to talk about this week is are we sinners, are we saints, or are we something in between? All right? And the reason why I think that that is important is because the Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. And, you know, a lot of us have this mentality, well, you know, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace, you know, and stuff. And to listen to a lot of us talk, we're, we're people that are just barely getting by. We're just barely making it, you know, you know, I'm just this poor sinner and, you know, and God, but God loves me anyway and things. And <clears throat> if you read the Bible, the Bible never talks about people that are truly following God as sinners, right? It calls people that are following God saints. And the reason why that is important is, again, as a man thinks, so is he. If we think that we're just this rotten, and because I deal with this myself, right? Okay, and a lot of us, but the way that we're brought up and the way that our parents spoke to us when we were kids and things, we have bad self-image, honestly. And, uh, so, and so we tend, to, we tend to magnify our faults. We magnify the things that we, we are our worst critics, right? And... <clears throat> You know, not to, I mean, obviously, if there's an issue, God wants us to deal with the right, issues. Right. But at the same time, how do we view ourselves? Do we view ourselves as, man, I'm this filthy, rotten sinner, and I can't believe God even puts up with me. And it's like, I'm, if I make it into heaven, it's going to be, you know, by the skin of my yeah, by the skin of my teeth or, you know, whatever and stuff. And so how do we view ourselves? Do we view ourselves as, as sinners? We're rotten, we're dirty, and I can't believe God saved me or, or I'm a saint. And what I once was, I'm not any longer. I'm a new creation in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, turn in your Bible to Romans 1. And we're going to talk about this whole sinner-saint thing. Because I know that when I was saying that a lot of us, you know, the Bible doesn't call us sinners anymore. The Bible calls us saints. And so, God looks at us. When He looks at us, uh, when we're truly walking with Him, when we're tr truly trying to obey Him and trying to, to, to live our lives for Him, He doesn't look at us as sinners, Right? And so we need, to be, we need to renew our minds. We need to begin to think of ourselves in the same way that God thinks of us. But as I say that, I know that there's, Bible, or there's scriptures that, that immediately pop into our minds that make us think, well, you know, Paul you know, calls himself the chief of sinners, right? So we're going to kind of look at some of those scriptures. And in Romans 1, verse 1, if I could get there. Romans 1, verse 1. This is what God calls us. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, we all know Paul, right? Before he became a Christian, he was a murderer. He was filled with anger. He was filled with hatred, right? That's who Paul was. Now, we've done some rotten things, right? We've, we've done some really terrible things. But for the most part, most of us haven't murdered anyone, right? So I'm not saying that this is a comparing sins thing like that. All I'm saying is Paul was as bad a sinner as any one of us. And yet God saved him. But listen to the way that Paul speaks. He says, uh, Called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared... 
Um, the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Among, <clears throat> listen to what he says here, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus, to, who, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. You see that? And so, again, how do we view ourselves, especially after we blow it, right? Um, I know this week uh, I kind of had some things that I wasn't really proud of, you know. And, I'm, and, and you know, we, every time that happens, we start thinking of ourselves as like, man, you are filthy, you're rotten, and all these thoughts come into our minds, right? But Paul, and let's turn to another scripture in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. And the thing is, is again, we have to start seeing that God is our father. When you have a child that does something wrong, you, might, you're not, you don't approve of what, they did, what the child does, right? And you're not pleased with what that child does, but you don't hate that child. You still love that child, and your heart is for that child, and, and your desire is that child grow up and be mature and not continue to do those things. In Colossians 1 verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. You see that? So again... And in both of these books, Colossians and Romans, Paul has to correct, correct some of the people there. He has to, he has to really um, address some of the things that they're doing wrong. But again, Paul, when he's addressing them, he says, you guys are saints. You guys are beloved by the Father. Okay? Even though some of them were screwing up, some of them were doing things that they ought not be doing, Paul still says, you people are saints in God. You are beloved. You are chosen by God. Okay? And so that's the thing. We need to, and <clears throat> I'm not justifying sin. I'm not saying that it's okay to sin and things like that. But the main thing is, is when we do sin, we repent. Right? When we do sin, we, we acknowledge it before the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. I screwed up. Change my heart. Take these desires out of me. But we can't just sit there and beat ourselves up. Because God is not sitting there beating us up right? God is not sitting there going, man, why did I save you? God says, I am your father and my desire is for you to walk and you to be, to be, to grow into maturity. Amen? Amen. And so we have to, again, a lot of us, and speaking to myself too, a lot of us have to renew our minds from the way that we've been brought up, from the way that we think about ourselves. And the thing is, is Satan is always waiting there for us to start beating on ourselves, right? He'll he'll gladly jump in and help us, right? <laughs> Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? So it doesn't. You give him an inch, he's going to take five miles, right? And 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 that's the problem. And and what happens to us as believers a lot of times is we do blow it or we do sin, and then we get in the funk, and we get in this place, and, and it becomes a self pity thing, and we become you know, in Catholicism they used to take switches. 
and and you know whip literally, themselves. They would literally cut their backs. With yeah, their and and do all kinds of things like that. And it's like, well, what do you? There was one saint uh, who who actually tried to crucify himself. You know, and, and the thing is, is you know what? You can't self crucify yourself because you're always going to have one hand that you can't nail. Right? right. You know, and so this whole the the whole thing is, is is it's not our job to punish ourselves. Right? It is our job to get up, dust ourselves off, and try to renew our minds because it all starts in the mind. Everything and that's why you see over and over in the word of God, everything is about faith, right? Because if I truly believe that God hates adultery, I wouldn't be doing it. Right? So we have to renew our minds because, again, as a man thinks, so is he. So, um, so the main thing that needs to change is our mind. And, again, once we get in this funk and we start beating ourselves and we start, you know, torturing ourselves and things, it, it produces no fruit. Mm-hmm. The thing that produces fruit is agreeing with God and saying and determining that I'm not going to live like that anymore. Because I don't have to. Right. Because God has given me the power, the ability, and the grace to where I don't have to live like that anymore. We're new creations in Christ. Amen. We just don't believe it. Amen. And so, again, we're renewing our minds. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> um, I wanted to read this one thing on, on, on the computer. I saw this, uh, this article, and it's called... Uh, um, sorry. This is actually on dummies.com. Oh, and it's 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 how to become a saint in the Catholic Church. Um, and there are certain steps, there are protocols to becoming a saint in the Catholic Church. Number one, you have to be dead for five years. Okay, uh, and then once once a person's dead for five years, you know someone um, um, puts himself out to be something that I'm not. It's simply the truth. Right. So whereas I used to be a sinner, I'm no longer that person. Right. And we can all say that about ourselves if we've truly been born again. Right. You can look at your lives and say, well, I might not be where I want to be, but I'm certainly not what I was. And so, right. And so I am not that sinner anymore. Now I am a saint of the Lord. That song comes to mind. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Yes, so yeah. help me. I am a child of God. Okay. Anyways. Sorry. Yeah. I love that song. Praise Turn God. to uh, 1 Timothy 1. Because again, um, even when I was thinking about doing this message, these, these thoughts are popping into my mind. Well, what about where Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners? And uh, we're just going to kind of look at those scriptures. 1 Timothy, you said? 1 Timothy chapter 1. So when you say you like have to be dead for five years, you mean like pushing up daisies dead yeah. in order to yeah. be a saint? Yeah. yeah. I was wondering that too, and then yeah. I kind of come on. And I was yeah. just like, wait, there's there's two different there's like the physical meaning of being dead, and then there's also yeah, they meant dead, dead. And, and that's the whole thing, and and that's the thing. It's like, well, if I can't be a saint before I'm dead, and and most people aren't going to be saints anyway, according to these criteria. Right? Yeah. Unless you've had someone document a miracle that you've done or something like that, and you've done all these works all your life, and you've done all these notable things. So, so according to the Catholic Church, it's impossible to become a saint. Not impossible, according it's, to them, but it's, it's almost hard. impossible. It's difficult. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know if Mother Teresa was ever made, but she was up her sainthood, but they, 
there's some issues because she really had trouble with the the idea of the Eucharist and some other Catholic doctrines. Right. But you know, she just she was a woman and didn't really confront the church. But she mm -hmm. had major issues with some of these doctrines, and so they were considering whether or not. Yeah. She was worthy she, to she be, a could saint. be a saint. Right. So right. there was some question about wow. all the stuff she did. And, and the th thing is, is again, I, my whole point is, is how does this affect our lives? Again, if you're in that religion which says that you, you can't be a saint until you die in the first place, and, and then most people aren't going to make it. Most people will never be a saint in the Catholic Church, right? I mean, very, very few people actually are, are canonized and stuff. But for us, if you read the Word of God, it's like, I'm a saint now. Because of what Jesus has done for me. And I've been made a saint not by some human, but by, by God himself. Right? Cindy. Okay. Are the people who deem the people saints considered saints? No. No, not necessarily. <laughs> but I, think, I think that they, I think the Catholics like pray to or through the saints, kind of like they believe that Mary's a saint, so they yeah. pray to yeah. Yeah. So, like, what about so the Pope? Pray through the saints. The Pope's not a saint. No. Some of them are. But anyway. Oh, you know what? Before we hit 1 Timothy, turn to Isaiah chapter 64. <clears throat> Hold your finger in Timothy and go to Isaiah 64. Because this is another scripture that you hear all the time. And this is a scripture, honestly, that I used to believe it in the same way that it's taught. <clears throat> in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. You see that? And a lot of us have been taught that, right? Even our, righteous, our most righteous deeds are filthy rags. Even the most righteous thing that we do is, is filthiness before the Lord. It's not true. It's not true. It's Start not at true. verse 1. Let's look at it in context. Yeah. Right? Because everything has to be taken in context. Yeah. And I, in, in verse 1, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From the days of old they have not heard or perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Look at this. Behold, we, you were angry for we sinned. We continued in them a long time and shall we be saved. And so, again, he's saying that we're sinners. And if you look at the history of Isaiah, this was when they were in Babylon captivity. Why did they go in captivity? Because of their sins. And because they refused to listen to the prophets and because they refused to repent of their sins. And so it's in the midst of this culture of sin that, that he's saying this. And he's not saying that, that if you're a righteous person, God, your, your righteousness is like filthy rags it's before God. Important. He's talking about people who are not living for God, who's, right. who were filthy. Right. right? And what, in context, too, what he's talking about when he says righteous deeds is he's talking about their religious activity. Because yeah. they were very religious. They made their sacrifices. They did all this 
religious activity. That's the righteous deeds he's talking about. It's like he's saying, okay, so you're doing all this religious activity, but yet you're living in sin and you're rebelling against me, so th- th- your religious activity means nothing. Yeah, it's like people now. I mean, in in our times, people go to church. I, I mean, we've, we've been talking about pastors who yes. are trying to pick up women on, yes. on Facebook and things. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's like, but, but you know, I still do these righteous activities, and, I still, yeah. and, and we think so that God's going to overlook the sin and say, you know, that's okay. And stuff, and it's like God's like, I don't care how many religious activities that you do, if you are not living from your heart for me mm-hmm. and 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 seeking me with all of your heart, then then it's all a game. Yeah. And and those righteous acts that you're doing to try to cover up for your sins are not going to do it. Right. 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 Were you gonna say something, uh, Daniel? <laughs> No, I'm just going Okay. All right, back to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. Yep. Verse. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. Okay, verse 3, it says, As I urged you upon... This is Paul. He's writing a letter to Timothy, right? Who's his... Basically his um, successor. He says, as I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or matters about which they make confident assertions. So Paul is bringing in the law here, okay? And one thing that we've talked about many times is that one of the biggest, the, the two biggest issues in the early church were the Gnostics and the Judaizers. And so the Judaizers, Paul would go to different cities and, and tell them about the gospel and, and people would get saved. And, and almost immediately, the Judaizers would come in after him and say, well, okay, Jesus is good, but you also have to be circumcised. Jesus is good, but you've got to keep the Sabbath. Jesus is good, but you've got to do all these... Um, yeah, the dietary laws, you have to be circumcised, all these things. And, and over and over, you see it's developed in the New Testament where the New Testament writers are saying, no, if you go back to that, you're going back to the law. So when he's talking about the law and things, he's not talking about obedience to God. He's talking about the ceremonial laws that, that the Jews tried to keep to obey God, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, he says, wanting to be, verse 7, teachers of the law, even though they do not in, understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mother or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. And we think, okay, he's covered everything, right? He hasn't covered my gossip or my lust or whatever. What's he say in the next part? He says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Really? So Paul pretty much sums up everything, right? He's, he doesn't leave any loopholes. He doesn't say, well, you, your sins can escape, but these other ones don't. 
He's covering all everything. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And I think I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formally. Remember that word formally. He said, even though I was formally a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ, in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy uh, statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Verse 16, yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, as the foremost Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example uh, for those who would believe in him for eternal life. You see that? So Paul's not saying, I am the chief of sinners now, right? He's reverting to his past. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about the things that he used to be. And in that context, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Right. So again, Paul is not looking at himself as a sinner now. He looks at himself as a saint. Just the same thing that he's writing to all these other believers. Mm -hmm. you, you are beloved by God. Mm -hmm. You are saints of God. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, turn to another place in uh, Romans 7. Well, he opens almost every book that he writes, like Beloved of God, exactly. Saints. You know, he addresses the church and, as and, saints and beloved. And that's why Paul was the powerhouse that he was, because of how he viewed himself and how he Looking viewed the, the, yeah. the Father's love for him. He's like, and, and just like the Bible says, those who are forgiven much, love much, Amen. right? And so um, it is good to sometimes remember our past, remember where we've come from, remember the things that God has delivered us from, but not for the purposes of going, you know, this, you're just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for beating scum ourselves or scum of the earth or nothing. It's like when we remember those things, we think we, we are to consider the love, the mercy, and the power of God to deliver us from those things. Amen. And how he has set us free from what we used to be enslaved to. Amen. Romans 7. And this is going to be a long thing because we're basically going to read the whole chapter. Now, we know in uh, Romans 6, he starts out, and, and that's the thing with the book of Romans, you have to read it all together. Amen. The, biggest, the biggest stumbling block to the book of Romans is that people will take a chapter here or a chapter there and stuff, and, and they'll try to create a doctrine out of that chapter rather than taking the whole thing right. as a whole. Uh, and so in Romans 6, he's talking, he starts out, what shall we say then? Are we, to increase, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Okay? So that's the first book in, right? So he's starting off by saying that we are not to continue living in sin because God's grace has come to us. And in uh, Romans 7 verse 1, he says, Oh, do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who are under the law. Again, Paul is once again speaking to people whose, whose, whose concepts of God are through the law. The uh, Old Testament law. Right. For the, uh, uh, he says, I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. 
For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. And I mean, there's so much to all this stuff, but basically, it's like we've died to that, okay? Yeah. We are no longer yeah. alive to that, and mm -hmm. so that that does not have control over our lives anymore. Yay. And that's the way sin is. If we have died to ourselves, if we have died and been buried with Christ and been resurrected now, sin does not have power over us. That's in Romans. And the only way that it has power over us, we give it power when we believe that it does. Mm -hmm. And again, that's where the whole renewing the mind thing comes in. Um, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you who were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, listen to what he says here. I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. You see that? And that goes back to, again, what we were talking about, the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? It's like, it's like the cookie jar. The kid knows that there's cookies in the cookie jar, so he waits till mom's out of the room and he sneaks in to get the cookie, right? And so that's what Paul's saying. It's like, it, it's, I wanted to find out what it was about, okay? Um, he says, uh, uh, verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, for sin taking the opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Again, Jesus never abolished the, the ethical law, right? As a matter of fact, he, he expanded the ethical laws. Jesus says, you've been told that not to... Uh, um, not to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already done it. You've been told not to hate someone or not to murder, but if you hate someone in your heart, you've already done it. So the law that was done away with was the, the ceremonial law, the sacrifices, the circumcisions, the feast days, all that kind of stuff. The ethical laws were never done away with. Okay? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. So now we're going to come into this thing that people use over and over. I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. And we're going to see in context that Paul is again talking about how he used to be, mm -hmm. not as he is now. And yeah. I have heard preachers preach this yeah. Yeah. and talk about, well, man, I'm not who, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still this sinner. And it's like the things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep finding myself bounded. <laughs> Paul didn't say that for us to use an ex as an excuse. Like, you, you've got to read it in context because Paul tends to go back and forth a lot of times to get you to understand stuff with his tenses and stuff. Because if you read just even verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Well, he has to be talking about past tense 
because another chapter over, he says, I'm free and from the says, bondage we're, to we're sin. not in the flesh. And in chapter 6, he says, we're no longer in bondage to sin. In chapter 8, he talks about we're no longer in bondage to sin. So he can't be talking about his present state. He's talking about what it was like for him. He's trying to give people to use their imagination of what it was like for him when he was under the law. Anyways. Okay, so back to 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is, excuse me, that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now we just read about earlier that that when we come to Christ, that sin is dead. Right? And it no longer has power over us. Right. So again, Paul is again, he's not speaking of present time Paul. Right. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Stop right there. Now, if Paul stopped right there, we could agree with that. And we could say, yeah, Paul's got problems. Yeah. <laughs> but number one, it doesn't agree with the rest of Scripture about Paul. Right. Right? Paul doesn't, Paul <coughs> speaks more about overcoming than anyone else in the New Testament besides Jesus. Right. And speaking about the power of God that God has given us to overcome, right? Right. Look at verse 26. Again, yeah, again. 24. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the, the body of this death? Then he continues, Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Verse eight, Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, Amen. sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, look at verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see that? And so, again, if you read Romans and you take chapters of Romans and just, like, take a chapter from Romans, you will be confused. confused. <laughs> and you will, you will be wrong. You have to take it as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, again, we, 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 we always get this concept in our minds that all God sees is my sins, right? All God sees is the times that I screw up. We think that God doesn't see the times that we do good things, right? And we sometimes we, and again, if, if we're being hypocrites, if we're just doing it to be religious, if we're doing it that, to think that we can buy God's favor, it's not going to work. But if you with a true heart are trying to serve God and trying to please Him in every aspect, He sees that, Amen. right? Turn to uh, Acts chapter 10. 
We're going to look at a man who wasn't a Christian, and yet God saw his righteous deeds. And Acts chapter 10. And see, again, I mean, just this whole week, or last, actually the last two weeks, I've been just meditating on this whole thing because I've bought into this whole thing too. And that we're just sinners and our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord and stuff. And, and you know what? If, if, again, when we read, that's a lot of the reason why the church is unfruitful. A lot of the reason why we're not doing anything as a church, we're not overcoming because we feel like we can't overcome. Right. We feel like as long as I'm on this earth, the devil's going to kick me around. I'm just a soccer ball, you know? <laughs> And, and I'm just going to be kicked around till till finally God, Jesus either comes and raptures us or I'm going to, you know, die and stand before him and then be made perfect. And that's the thing is, is God, Jesus said the gates of hell will not overcome the church. Amen. And we're being overcome because of, of these kind of belief systems, because we believe that we can't overcome. And, and, and the thing, and sometimes when, when you talk like this, people think, well, that's just self-righteousness. Or, or you're, you're trying to think that you're something that you're not. And I'm not saying that we are this, mm-hmm. right? But, but if you don't think that you can be, you won't be. Right. Mm-hmm. If we think that we're just going to be dist- beat up by the devil until the rapture comes or, or whatever, we're going to get beat up by the devil. But we, the church of Jesus Christ, is to be a militant army overcoming the gates of hell, Amen. taking ground... <laughs> And, and destroying the works of Satan. Yes. Jesus said that, that, that <laughs> greater works, right? <laughs> Jesus said that we would do greater works than him. Well, yeah. where are our greater works? Right. Right? And, and too, like, with what you're saying, and uh, I'm sorry if I'm stealing part of your message, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, later in chapter 8, it talks about, you know, we're more than conquerors. Right. Right. What right. are we conquering yeah. if, we're not, if, if God right. is not given us the strength to conquer sin, then why right. are we conquering? What are we more than conquerors? <laughs> Little of? baby children. But it says, because it's saying, in all these things, we are more in than all conquerors. In all these yeah. things, yeah, that's good. And, and that's the thing, too, is like, well, again, one of the reasons why we, the church, are not conquering the world is because we're not conquering ourselves. Yeah. If we can't control ourselves, if we can't get victory over our stuff, how are we going to, you know, the help the world? You know? Uh, it's like the it's like the disciples when they tried to cast the demon out of the kid and they could not do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's because you know mm-hmm. first we have to deal with these issues. Yeah. Once we deal with the and and that shouldn't take a hundred years, yeah. right? Yeah. And again, I'm not talking that we're going to be sinless perfection or any of that, but but we it's this whole process of maturity. Sure. We are to be becoming mature believers in Christ. Right. Um, and it, it is a process, but, but the, the thing is, is that's what our lives are to be. God, when God wants to set us free so that we can be an example of his ability to set people free to other people. Yeah. That's the whole thing about our lights shining. People should be able to look at our lights and say, I knew this guy in school. He was an idiot. He was a knucklehead. <laughs> Believe me, and I was. I mean, I, I was crazy and stuff. And, but, and it's like, if I met some of the people that I went to school with, they would be shocked. They would like, I don't even know who you are. Right? I don't even know who you are. Well, 
changed man. She means that in a good way. She means that in a good way. He's a changed man. Acts 10, verse 1. Oh. 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 Caesarea named Cornelius, uh, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So, um, well, let's just continue. Um, About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him, he and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he look what the angel says to him. And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as, an, as a memorial before God. Now we're going to continue to read in this chapter, and we're going to find out that Cornelius was not a Christian. I mean, he was following, he was, was the best Jew that he could be, but right. he was not a Christian. Okay? Um, look at verse uh, 21. So through this whole process, uh, at the same time that, that the angel's speaking to Cornelius, um, God is giving visions to Peter, right? Because the Jews would have no dealings with um, Gentiles. Uh, and and to, the, to the Jews, they were unclean. And so, so it, it, it's just an awesome story because God is dealing with both sides. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And God is, and that's just how God does, right? He's able to do so many different things at the same time. And he's working in people's lives that are completely unrelated. And he's teaching a lesson to both sides. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And in verse 21, he says, um, and so so the angel comes down and basically tell you know wants Peter to go to him. Verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, so he Cornelius sent men to bring Peter to him. He went down to the men and he said, Behold, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason which you, which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation and the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Turn to look at verse 34. So Peter goes with them. And in verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. Um, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter starts preaching the gospel to him, okay? Um, and uh, he's, he's like Paul. I mean, again, he was a good Jew. He, he tried to keep the Torah, and he, was given, he gave money to, to the Jews, and he's like a conqueror, right? Um, so, so Peter begins to preach the gospel to him. Verse 38 again, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. 
And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God to judge uh, as judge of the living and the dead. I mean, when's the last time you, you heard something like this preached to an unbeliever? Right? I mean, he is laying out the gospel, man. He's, he's telling every part of it, right? Um, verse 43, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, the, and that's it. So, uh, sorry, I was, I was going to keep going. But, uh, but so Peter preaches the gospel and, and this man's born again, right? And, but basically the point of that is, is that God saw his works and his deeds, which were obviously done from a pure heart, right? And, and that's the thing, again, too, is like, this whole thing has been kind of changing my mindset, even about unbelievers. Because when we think about unbelievers, we think, well, they're just they're sinners, rotten. right? They're rotten, nothing's good yeah. about them and stuff. But even sinners have... Nice hearts sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the Bible talks about how God has and... put in each man's heart uh, eternity, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so and, and every man, every woman has been made in the image of God, right? And so my point is being, I'm not saying that, well, that doesn't mean that they're, they're not guilty. My point is that even sinners have good things about them, right? Because, uh, you know, even sinners, even people that are unbelievers, the most hardened sinner can do good things. The most hardened sinner can, can do great things from time to time and stuff. And it's not like God goes, ah, well, you're still a sinner, right? God acknowledges the good that they do, right? Mm-hmm. But he still wants them to be saved. But. Right. Like it says in verse 31, it says, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. It's yeah. like even though he wasn't a Christian, it's like God recognized his good deeds and he, he came to him, you know, and he drew his heart. It's like he was drawing his heart. I don't know. I just think that's kind of cool. A lot of Islam uh, people that I hear that. Or Muslim people. Yeah, they mm-hmm. fear God. Mm-hmm. They want to do what's right. They really sincerely want to mm-hmm. please God with all their heart. They really do. And they have Jesus appear to them in dreams. Right. That's a good yes. point. The gospel yeah. with them. It's, like, yeah. it's not like these good people don't need Jesus. No, they still need yeah, Jesus. Right, right, right. Because they do want forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. They do, I mean, they, I'm sure they have some mm-hmm. kind of realization yeah. in mm-hmm. the light of fearing God. Lord, mm-hmm. I need... I'm going to do things good because I need your forgiveness, you know, and they, they want that. And mm-hmm. so it still says that Peter still preached the gospel and said, you're mm-hmm. sin because of Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. Right, right. I mean, I, I just can't imagine what a release that must have been yeah. for him who had been working and pleasing, trying to please God his whole life. What a blessing mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to be like at peace yeah. with God. That's and, awesome. And I, mean, then, I, can't, I can imagine how the Holy Spirit just fell on that. And yeah. then that, that thing that you had yeah. been searching for all your life, and you you know, it's like mm-hmm. they might not even have been able to put their finger on it. I've, I've heard of, of like people in Africa, like just spontaneously just, you know, meeting the Lord or, you know, having visions of God and truly becoming saved and stuff. And yeah. 
And I, yeah, I think that that um, God, God, the Bible is clear that God will meet the hungry. God will meet those who who are seeking after righteousness. Um, I want to just read something in James right quick. Y'all don't have to turn there. But in uh, James 4, he, um, in James 4, he's talking about, you know, how they're fighting and quarreling among each other. In verse 2, he says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're, you're envious, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel and stuff like that. And he call, calls them adulteresses. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God and stuff? Um, and, uh, like, Verse 6, he says, But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, okay, if you're walking in sin, then God sees you as a sinner. Right? But the thing is, is as soon as we come to God, look, turn to Isaiah chapter 50, 55. As soon as we come to the Lord, the Bible, you know, He is willing to forgive us, right? God is a gracious Father. And that's the thing. Again, one, if we sin, we come back to Him and we ask for forgiveness and we repent and we turn from that and God will, God's, God's eager to forgive his people. Yes. He doesn't he doesn't just sit there and kick us and Isaiah fifty five. Right. right. We right. are the prodigal son. Yeah. But we are no longer. Right. That's what he's right. yeah, 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 we are no longer. Well even that even that story of the prodigal son, when the when the son comes back, he's like, Let's have a party. Mm-hmm. They go and kill the fatted calf, he puts a ring on his finger and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, he he treats him so well that the other brother gets jealous. Mm-hmm. And and that's the heart of God, right? The heart of God is not once we once we repent that He just keeps, you know, angry. keeps being angry, keeps calling us sinners. God wipes away our sins. Mm-hmm. Amen. In Isaiah fifty five. Fifty five six. Yes. It says, uh, 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he, was ne- while he is near. Let the, wake- let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. What does he say? It says, And he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. God loves. It's just like, again, back to the kid analogy if your kid is acting like an idiot and like a knucklehead and he's doing all kinds of bad stuff when he comes the greatest joy of a parent when the kid comes and says you know what i'm sorry i made him you know i screwed up i i i was just even again with the prodigal where he comes back to his father and says i'm not worthy to be your son and the father embraces him and again and the father like accepts a... him and the father doesn't sit there and just treat him like well you're gonna have to sleep in the barn for a month and then I'll, maybe I'll let you back in the house right but like a godly sorrow too like one that actually leads us to forsake our ways right. and our unrighteous deeds and not just like oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry and saying yeah. that every I used to do that when I was a young Christian teenager in my teens and 
was like going to the altar every week and oh my god I'm sorry I screwed up again yes, and again yes, and yes, again yes. and again. Well, not again. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really want to change. I'm planning to screw up in all those same ways next week so if I can get this confession out of the way. Right, right. Skip church. Now. Yeah, and, and, and so that's bad but also what is just as bad is when we keep going to the altar and we don't have anything. And we're like, God, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm a miserable worm. I'm 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 you know all this stuff. God's like, get up. Yes. You know, I mean, surely, Change surely God gets tired of that sometimes. He says, look at what. And the thing is, is that doesn't glorify God, because we're saying that God doesn't have the ability to set me free, yeah. right? And we're saying that God's power is not enough. God is not powerful enough to deliver me. And God's like, I can blow your mind. Amen. And I can so Amen. deliver you that, that it's just, you will yes. not be the same. Amen. What's um, the next chapter we go to? Uh, I haven't got there yet. Oh, I thought you said it. <laughs> You're so eager. That's awesome. Let's go, let's go. That, so, so that's the thing. We are saints of God. We are no longer sinners. We are no longer filthy refuse or whatever. We are saints. We are beloved by God. And when he looks at us, he looks at us as his children. And when we begin to believe that, it will change the way that we live. If I know that I'm accepted by God, if I know that he loves me, if I know that the things that I do for him really please his heart, it's just going to make me want to do it more. right? And, and, And the thing is, is what holds so many of us believers back is because we keep um, harboring it, it is almost like a, a sickness in some ways is that we carry around our sickness and we, we begin to pet it and it becomes like a thing right there's a, I heard this thing a long time ago in medieval like medieval times or whatever um, I don't know if it's true or not but they said like sometimes for murderers what they would do is they would tie the body of the person that you murdered to oh, wow. your body and let you go on your way or whatever yeah. or some I'm, I'm not sure but essentially what would happen is the body that was decaying would spread that decay wow. to the guy that was alive wow right and you wow. would just sit there and watch him wow. and, and it and so it would wind up killing him wow and that's the way some of us are sometimes we still keep carrying around this thing that Jesus said death. that's nailed to the cross Amen. it's dead it's no longer alive <laughs> I have taken your sins as far as from the east to the west mm-hmm. and again if we're if we're being hypocrites if we're playing the Christian game if we're just going to church and we're doing some religious things and think that God's going to overlook our sins that's never going to happen Amen. But if we're truly trying to live with it for him, and of course we'll fall. The Bible says in Proverbs, the righteous man falls seven times. Does it say, well, he just keeps licking his wounds while he's there? No, it says he gets up. Amen. And that's the whole thing, especially as young believers, we fall, but we get back up Amen. and stuff. And, and as, as we mature, we fall less. Amen. You know, I, I was listening to a sermon not too long ago about one this preacher, and he's like, I sin every day. You know, it's like, dude, if you sin every day, you need to have some dealings, right? And it's like, they, we say it as it's like some kind of badge of honor. And it's like, well, you know, and then, and then to the crowd, it's like, oh, you don't sin? Like, oh, you're, you're, you're. So you're holier than that. You're holier than that. And so it's like, yeah, I hope so. I at least want to be. I'm not saying that I don't sometimes, but you know, it's that concept. It's like, I just sin every day and it's okay. 
Yeah. You know, no, it's not okay. Yeah. If and especially for a and preacher, for, you know, yeah, for yeah, someone yeah. that's a leader the of the church of God, it's years. like, brother, you need to get it right. Yeah. And if you're sinning every day, you need to do some soul searching and find out what the problem is. Mm -hmm. um, again, we're not talking about being perfect and things like that. Yeah. But that's the goal, right? The goal is to be Overcomers. like Christ. Amen. And Paul says we are more than conquerors. He's not like we're just barely getting by. We're sinners saved by grace. He's like we are overcoming. Yes. And stuff. And that's the way we are. We God has... God has given us everything that we need For to overcome sin. And godliness. Now, um, turn to Colossians chapter 2. And, and again, but the, and the thing is too, is again, uh, like if, if sometimes if you have the attitude that, you know what, I don't sin every day. If I do, you know, I, I try to repent and get, get right, you know, and stuff. People look at you like you're trying to be self-righteous or whatever but sometimes yes. there can be a false humility and just well you know i'm just you know i sin every day well do you really did you sin yesterday well no not really why are you saying that and just like you said it can be there can be a pride behind it and stuff and false humility is just as bad as pride because it's really the same thing yes. and stuff and it's it's trying to appear as something that we're not um in galatians 2 Verse, uh, okay. yes, Colossians? ma I thought you said Colossians. Uh, Colossians. Wait. Where am <laughs> I? You said Colossians. Colossians. Yeah, Colossians. Yeah. Okay. Colossians. <laughs> you mean to say Colossians? Uh -huh. Yeah, Colossians. <laughs> uh, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, hey, that's all right. You guys, we are learning our Bibles. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he, did that, he did that on purpose. Come on, y'all. You passed the test. Good job. Good job. Galatians 2. Well, this is good. Is it, we're, we're just testing Erin and see if she's paying attention. It's Galatians. Okay, Galatians. Verse 15. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be bad. Okay. Verse 15. For we are not... We, sorry. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among, among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that, and again, so, um, again, uh, and again, we have this false humility a lot of times. It's like, uh, whenever we do anything good, it's like, well, it wasn't me, it was just Jesus, right? Or it's not me, yes. it's God doing it and stuff. God is not going to use us as a puppet, mm. right? And sometimes, uh, again, we have this false humility and say, well, you know, it's just got to be Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Well, a lot of times things aren't happening because we're saying that kind of stuff, right? You know, over and over in the Bible, you see people who looked at situations and their hearts were moved by what they saw. And they didn't need an angel to come down and tell them, you need to go do something about this. They said, this is wrong, and I want to do something about this. And part of this, uh, again, we as the church, we as believers, we need to let our eyes affect our hearts. Whenever we see something wrong, and I'm not saying, I mean, you know, um, 
Just you know, even, even Jesus, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, sometimes when you go out healing people, it's because he felt compassion for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. so exactly, exactly. And so, and, and again, a lot of us Christians, it seems like we're just waiting for an angel to come and give us a commission or, or waiting for like the pastor to tell us what we need to do or something like that. God has put within every single person in this room gifts and callings. And he's not always waiting for us to hear from him, from heaven, a voice to say, get off your butt, go do your calling. <laughs> you know, a lot of us, we're like, oh, well, I just don't feel led. Well, a lot of us have lead poisoning, right? <laughs> because right. we were waiting to be led and nothing ever happens because God has given us free will. He is giving us the ability to choose how we want to serve Him and what we want to do and how we want to make a difference. If we want to make a difference in this world, we need to stop waiting for a sign from heaven. And we need to say, we need to figure out what our gifts, what our gifts, what our callings are, and we need to be able to operate in them, okay? And will you fall? Will you stumble? Yes, you will. Is it, is it scary? Is it frightening? Yes, it is scary. It is frightening. But I don't want to be 90 years old on my deathbed going, man, you know what? I never did anything for God because I was waiting for the phone call. You know, I was waiting for the vision. I was waiting for the dream. God. There's a verse that I use a lot that's, um, he who knows to do good and does not mm. do it, it is folly mm. and shame to him. Mm. So sometimes I'll see like a piece of trash on the floor and I could just as easily pick it up or somebody else. And, you know, if I feel like I could really help somebody out by picking up this trash, mm. then mm. I pick up this trash. And so that's my that's my go-to verse. If You, mm. <laughs> you know, if I know it's good and, mm-hmm. you know, it's in front of me and I can do it, then... Why not do it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's kind of the American concept. Don't get involved, right? Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't. That's and and, and the thing, the problem is, is that a lot of times we're being like, uh, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, where the guy gets beat up and he gets robbed and the priest passed him by, mm-hmm. the, the scribe passed him by, and it was the unclean Samaritan that stopped and helped the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And... And I you think, know, how many times have I been right. the priest or the scribe or what? I think in that situation, um, <clears throat> we just need to step out, like you were saying. We cannot mm-hmm. be waiting. Okay, Because in America, we live with this conception of somebody else is going to do it. Somebody right. else yeah, yeah. is going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you I know? mean, mm-hmm. um, good. When, when, I, <clears throat> when I step into um, um, cutting giving free haircuts at DFH for the men, I mean, I was put in, in a task, and I was like, okay, now they put me in the men's bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, which for me was very humiliating, because I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I worked in a upscale salon, I'm a hairdresser, why the hell they put me in the bathroom? And then some of the guys were just going in there and, you know, while I was cutting hair, yes. And I'm going to read some scripted. And that was my test, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, okay, am I going to allow this? Am I here to serve the men? Or I'm here because I'm a hairstylist and therefore I should be yeah. treated with respect right, and right, right. honoring me and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody was watching me, like all the guys were watching my my, my reaction. My reaction, although I trust me, it wasn't easy. 
Yeah. I fought through even though, you know, talking to my teeth and doing <laughs> <laughs> like this. But I just, I, I went, you know, I, I faced it because I was like, and what helped me overcome that was I'm doing it for them. Yeah. This man needs the blessing. God has given me a talent and I'm going to like put it under the bed and just going to use it. Nice. And by doing that, it was amazing. Mm. Then it didn't bother me. I was like, oh, you want to take a dump cup? Make sure you wipe. <laughs> it was like, and then, and then when I had like a nun, when they noticed it wasn't bothering me, guess what? God did a miracle. All of a sudden, they like put a sign and say no. Bathrooms are out of order. Frank is cutting hair plans two hours. Wow. Nice. It came out of them. They didn't come out from staff. They were guarding me, and uh, I was like blown away. I was uh, like, "Wow, awesome. you're taking care of me." You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. It came from them, and it was like, and it was cool. amazing. And then after I did it for a year, then they promoted me to the woman's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I had a, <laughs> I felt, you know, because it's a men's home, so I felt like, "Wow, I've been promoted." You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have a table. <laughs> I have a table and a big mirror, you know, to like, to do the stuff. But it was. It's amazing how in the little things God will promote you. Yeah. But you have if to you're step faithful. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to. Yeah. You know, you have to step you have to step yeah. you know into the battlefield sometimes. And, yeah. You know and there's so many opportunities. It's like uh you go through life and and, and sometimes you see the knee and you're like, Oh no, I don't wanna get involved. Yes. Oh, what are they gonna think of me? Oh look that person's looking at me and stuff like that. And as you were saying, as a man think you will you know, if you make yourself available, okay, God, I'm going to be your instrument today. Put someone in my path and trust me, you will. Yeah. <laughs> more, more than what you can think. Yeah. Put someone in my path that you want me to bless. And boom. Yeah. God puts a person in your, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you, what are you going to do in that situation? Mm -hmm. But if you step out in faith, God will take care of you. Mm -hmm. He will. He will never, ever mm -hmm. leave you alone. And, and the thing yeah. about it is, is like, I'm not saying just run out and just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff or just be like a squirrel and just <laughs> all over the place. Frank cuts hair and he, he's really good at it. It is his gift, right? And so he is using what God has put within him, his desires, his gifts to glorify the Lord. And that's, that's how it is. We don't just, you know, you know. It's like even this with this evangelist thing, like everybody should be out evangelizing. There are five ministries, right? Mm -hmm. Pastor, preacher, teacher, whatever they are and stuff. Evangelist. <laughs> One of them is evangelist or whatever. But my point being is that not everyone is an evangelist. Right. Yeah. Right? And it's like we, the church, we major on these things and say this is how God works. No, God's going to use you in the way that he has created you. And the things that he has put, the desires, the passions that are in your heart, that's how God wants to use you. Amen? Were that's you for sure. I, oh. I was going to say, it's interesting, like First Timothy, I was just looking this up a minute ago, but it said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment mm. of God. Mm. Like God mm -hmm. gave a commandment, you shall be an apostle, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not like he let him, like, told him exactly where each place to go. There were sometimes mm -hmm. he said, no, actually... Don't go there. Right. We don't know why. Maybe it's for his own life. We don't know why. But he 
he just went with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, we as saints of the Lord, we just go with it. Mm-hmm. Just go with God. Just mm-hmm. do it all. You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, like a squirrel, like you were saying. But just, mm-hmm. like, there's a, there's a commandment of God. That's yeah. just, you know, that just, that commandment. To make you know, chocolate. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yeah. And so it's just, that's just so cool that, yeah. that some of the commandments are not only just the love, but just, like, God actually has commanded uh, this this specific gift for you to do yeah. mm-hmm. for you to walk in mm-hmm. and, and it's not specific about it but but be free and do yeah. it mm-hmm. and, 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 and just like Frank was saying part of that is exploration and discovery mm-hmm. and finding out like like even if you're a preacher you may not preach the same way as like Tony Evans you know what I'm saying? You might have your own way of doing it. If you're an evangelist, you may not be like um, Walter Lofton, you know, or someone like that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a teacher, you may not do it like, you know what I'm saying? God has created us unique. Part of the problem with the church is we're all trying to be like everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to we're trying to be these cookie crutter, you know, want to be like, you know, be who God made you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Come on. So hold. I was trying to say earlier, um, sometimes, like when you were talking about being a preacher, a teacher, and an evangelist, sometimes the Lord calls you to a field. Like, for me, it's I love to talk. And after being here with Jesus, it was like, I love to talk about Jesus. But then he called me to social work. Mm. And I found out that social work is very good liberal. <laughs> Um, and like right off the bat, sometimes he'll call you to fields, not just to like be like, okay, we'll talk about this, but you know, through your actions and just by doing your job. Yeah, that's good. All right, Daniel, were you gonna say something? Um, well, yeah, I just I think sometimes we we kind of forget it, like you know, some, or some of us forget that you know God made us as people, <laughs> like like. He gave us a brain so that we can use it. Yeah, yeah right. He gave us, like, human desires so that we can, uh, and, uh, oftentimes so we can exercise them in healthy ways to even further his name and stuff like that. Like, there are a lot of, you know... Natural abilities. Yeah, natural have, things, yeah. natural human things that God gave us. Right, right. Not, like Ruth's ability with, with math and being able to tutor students and... And yes. help. I mean, that's cool. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Like, and what, like you, what God is the door that God may be opening for you would be a good example of that. Can you just say that, at least as an example? To help, the, didn't you say help troubled kids tutor them math? Isn't that what you told me? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like at schools that, that can't get a certified teacher in there to teach the kids. It's just mm. really, in, they're just really in bad situations. Mm-hmm. And the schools are in bad situations. But, yeah. Or like even chocolate. I mean, that's such a great So thing. weird, but okay. Yes, no, Lord. I mean, <laughs> 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 like it's that pleasure, I guess, though. So, so much. Yeah. To make people happy. To make people happy. Yeah. And I feel like it just all comes back to that whatever your, you know, whatever your hand finds it to do or whatever. Do, do it, it to the glory heart. of God. Right, yeah, right. there's that other one, too. Right, right. But, um, yeah, do it to the glory of God, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it doesn't, you know in some people's life that is preaching definitely and and we do need to all be ministering in some way like right. uh, sure. uh, and that is a really important aspect of it but it's it we're, takes we're, on different we're forms. people you yeah. know and god yeah. made us people and that right. right. wasn't on accident 
Right. Okay. But, but the main point is to do and not stand in the sideline. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that just, you know, waiting for somebody else to do it and they, right. they don't do anything. Right. Yeah. Someone uh, posted something on Facebook today, which I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, based to what you were saying, that we like to compare each other to other Christians. And in the post, and it said, Jesus said, follow me, not follow all the Christians. Because mm-hmm. uh, I used to belong to a church in, in Florida where uh, the uh, the pastor was having an affair with one of the members for like four years. So wow. when he came out, the whole church disintegrated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone just left the church. And who knows if people just, mm-hmm. you know, quit being a Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he was very charismatic, charismatic and, mm-hmm. and, you know, amazing pastor and that's what happened wow. mm-hmm. and you know and that could happen to to any of us so let's focus on following jesus and not following christians because we're yeah. all humans mm-hmm. and we fail tomorrow you know what i mean yeah. we all fail yeah. so if you're following me and not jesus and i fail there you go Luke, no you're good verse 16 says nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in christ jesus even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be just, justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild, I'm talking about what Frank was talking about, says, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and, and this scripture right here is again something that a lot of people stand on, and it's like, well, it's not me doing this; it's, it's Jesus doing it. It says, "I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me." I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So what Paul is saying is like, I used to live for the world, I used to live according to the law and stuff like that, but now Christ is living in me. He's not saying that now now that I'm a believer, Christ makes me do everything that I do. He's not saying, well, I'm going to go out and preach to this person if Jesus lifts me up and you know moves me over in that direction or whatever, Right? That's not what he's saying at all. And and the thing is, is again, when we do things for the Lord, we are doing it through his power. We're yeah. doing it through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But but you know what? Again, God is not always going to open up the heavens and say, I want you to go to Zimbabwe or whatever, you know? <laughs> Sometimes we need to just choose things to do. And, and, and so in that sense, it's still Jesus working through us, mm-hmm. but it's a partnership again. Yeah. It's me choosing, you know what? That person over there looks lonely. I think I'll go talk to him, yeah. right? And so we as believers, we need to wake up and say, yes, it is God's power. It is his anointing and it's his love that he's put in my heart, but he still wants me to do something. Yeah. You know, Paul said we're co-laborers with Christ. We're working together with Him. So, and, and, and again, when, whenever we do do something in the name of the Lord, uh, and again, we're not to be proud, we're not to be arrogant and things like that, but, but you are doing that thing, right? And God sees the works that you do and He remembers those. Mm-hmm. 
And the Bible says that there is rewards for the things that we do. Not that we do things for the rewards, but God sees the things that we do for him and it blesses him. And, and when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to say, well, it was just you doing it in me. He says, no, you chose to do that for no, that person. Yeah. You were the Samaritan that stopped for that person and you helped that person mm -hmm. and God blesses you. Right? Yeah. So again, we, we need to get off the excuses that, well, it's not me doing it. It's just God doing it and stuff like that. Turn to uh, uh, 1 Samuel 17. Because we, uh, you know, and I think we've talked several times about how God created Adam and Eve. Um, God named everything, right? Except in the Garden of Eden, when, when God created all the animals, he gave Adam the job of naming the animals. Right? And so God allows us to, by our free will, decide the things that we want to do. If we want to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's up to us. And the thing is, is we are responsible. You know, the Bible talks about the parable of the talents. The one who buried the talents, God says, you are a wicked and lazy slave. Because you took the things that I gave you and you buried them in the ground and did not do anything with them. The one who went out and made the, uh, the ten talents, the one who, who, who did the things with the talents that God gave him, God gave him even more. Right? So God rewards faithfulness. He rewards it when we do things for him and it blesses his heart. In 1 Samuel 17, we've talked about this before, but I just want to read about David because the thing is, is again, and what's going to happen is when you come to that realization that you know what? God can use me, right? And when, when you begin to step out in faith and do the things that God has called you, people are going to say, well, who do you think you are? Right? Or, or why do you think that why do you think that you you can do this and stuff? First Samuel seventeen, story of David and Goliath it says. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soco, and belong, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soco and Azekah in Ephes Damon. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped up in the valley of Elah, and drew up the drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the, mount, on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Now, when, when God brought the people of Israel into the promised land, he told them, every place where the sole of your foot treads, I've already given it to you. Right? And he said, told them that you are to completely wipe out all the enemies that stand against you. No enemies will be able to stand against you. Right? So here they are facing the Philistines. It says, verse 4, Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. I think it's like something like nine. Anyway, way tall. I'm not sure. Um, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his uh, spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out uh, to draw up in battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, if, if you read about Saul, the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in Israel. 
Saul was, was chosen by God to be the king over Israel, to lead his people against, the, against foreign armies to, to destroy the enemies of Israel, right? And so Saul, instead of getting out and fighting with Goliath, Saul's hiding behind his army, all right? Um, verse, uh, verse 9, he says, well, verse 8, he says, choose, for a man, uh, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, and to me, this correlates a lot to what happened is to what's happening in Christianity today. We see all around us enemies everywhere. The world is getting darker and darker and more and more ungodly, and most of us are hiding. Most of us are like, well, you know what? I don't want to get involved in that because you know they're pretty powerful, you know. Verse. Um, Verse 12, now, or verse 11. Then Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now again, Paul, God had told him, no enemies will be able to stand against you. But I will be with you and I will defeat your enemies before you. And, but yet the people of God are hiding. It says, now David was a son of, of, a, of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days. Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, the second to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, so David was too young to be in the army. Okay. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. So the picture here is that basically, you know, this, this man's taunting God, right? Whenever, whenever he's taunting the people of Israel, essentially he's taunting God and saying, this God that you serve, he's not real. This God that you serve is not powerful. And it, that's the way the world does, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And they try to doubt, get us to doubt in God's ability and God's power. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah. And so, again, the people of Israel are bound by fear and unbelief. And basically, they are allowing Satan to be magnified over God. And they won't do anything about it because they're afraid. Verse 16, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David, his son, now take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news to them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp with, while the army was going out in battle array, battle array shouting the war cry. And again, isn't this a picture of the church? You know, we can shout the war cries. We can look like we're brave warriors. We can look like we're fighters and yet still sit in our camps and not be doing anything. Wow. 
Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines' army drew up in battle right. Look at these guys. They got all their army, their armor on. They got their shields and their spears, and they're yelling their war cries, but they're not fighting. You know, it's like when you were in high school. I remember so many times on the school grounds, people fighting in high school. Most of the times, nine times out of ten, it was just two people going, okay, what are you going to do, you know? And they would just sit there and taunt each other, and you knew neither one of these guys are going to fight, Right? That's essentially what these guys are doing. They're just sitting there taunting each other, and they're trying to act like they're tough. They're trying to act like they're brave, and it's all a show. Verse 22, and he was talking with them as he was talking. Verse 22, then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words, and David heard them. So again, we were talking about earlier about how you let your heart, your eyes affect your heart, right? It says, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him. Now these are, these are warriors, right? What is the job of a warrior? The job of a warrior is to fight. If you're a warrior and you're not fighting, are you a warrior? Right? It doesn't matter how much armor you got. It doesn't matter how many guns and knives and weapons that you have. If you're sitting there, if you're not fighting with them, they're useless. It's like if someone breaks into your house, you can have a gun cabinet full of guns, but if you don't do anything, the person can do anything he wants to do, right? Um. When all the uh, 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him the daughter, his daughter, and make his house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? Look at this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? So David's heart, or his eyes, are affecting his heart. And he's not waiting for anybody to tell him, you know what, David, you should go kick that guy's butt. Right? He's not waiting for, he doesn't need someone's approval. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not waiting for someone to tell him. He's like, who is this guy? Verse 27, the people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and look at this, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Look at this, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Like, if you're David, you're going, what battle? Right? <laughs> But again, this is what, and I, this, whenever you begin to step out in your ministry, when you begin to step out in your gifts and your calling, you will have people say, who do you think you are? Why, why do you think you should do this? Well, what, what Bible school did you go to? Yeah, even brothers. Jesus, his own brothers and his mother didn't believe in him at one point, right? They wanted to take him away because they thought he was insane. And people will, and the thing is, is, you have to be settled in your own heart because if you're not settled in your own heart, you will hear these voices and you'll be like, wow, they're right, you know? Yeah. Right? And so you have to know this is who God, and that's the basis of it. Who is God? It's not even my gifts. It's not who I am. I'm nobody, right? 
And the, the thing about it is, is every single person in this room has the ability to have as much knowledge of the Word of God, as much knowledge about God as any doctor of divinity. You can know God as well as Dr. Tony Evans, as well as Chuck Sundahl, as well as any of these people. You can know God as well, if not better. And I'm not saying that, again, in a prideful way or anything like that. We have the Word of God. You don't have to go to Bible school. The Bible said about the disciples, it said they were unlearned and untrained men. But it says, but the people could tell that they had been with Jesus. Nice. Right? Yeah. And the thing is, is Bible school, it just teaches you information. You can learn Greek or Hebrew or things <laughs> like that. But you had the Bible. Mm-hmm. We had the Bible. There was a time when you could not own your own Bible. Mm-hmm. There was a time when you could be burned at the stake for owning a Bible. And there are countries right now where if you get found with a Bible, you can be tortured. You can be put Mm -hmm. to death. Mm -hmm. But you can know this word of God and you can know God through this word as well as anybody that you look up to. Mm -hmm. Right? There is no limitations. And again, but when you start stepping out into your ministry and like even the simple little things that we're doing, I've had people say to me, well, who, who do you think you are? Right? And another thing that people will say, well, what Bible school did you go to? You know? You All can you make need. You Bible school and be an unbeliever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it happens. About yeah. Years. But the point being is that, you know what? Don't. You don't have to have the approval of anybody. Right? I mean, learn, right? Get educated. And stuff. Even Paul, when he became saved, he went to Arabia. Some people think it was three years. Some people think it was 14 years. But he went just to be alone with the Lord and, and really learn about who God was, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong about learning and being discipled and being trained. But once again, once you figure out what God has called you to, do it with all your heart. And don't let the voices of anybody discourage you because I promise you, Satan will use people to discourage you. Mm-hmm. Satan will use people... Even sometimes your brothers. And that can be spiritual too. Right? Mm -hmm. To discourage you from doing what God has called you to. Like I heard this example one time. And again, I don't know if this is true or not. But they say crab traps have only one opening. And the reason why that is, is they said once the crabs get in, if one crab tries to climb out of it, all the other crabs will drag them back down. Mm. Right? And I don't know. and, And the thing is, is there's a lot of jealousy, right? I mean, you know that his brothers were kind of jealous of him. Well, you know, what makes you think you can do this? And that's the way human beings are. It's like if we see somebody doing something that we know that I should have been doing, right? I get jealous, right? Why is he doing what I should have been doing? Mm -hmm. By the same token, you can also have brothers trying to force you into a mold that they think you're supposed to be in. Which we will get to that also. Yeah. Okay, so verse... uh, Uh, Verse 29, but David said, what have I done now? Wasn't it just a question? Verse 30, then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. Now, in every area, and the people answered the same thing as before, in every area of life, there are talkers and there are doers, right? There are people that talk a good fight and they're like, well, you know, I'd go out there and just, you know, and stuff. And there, there are people that actually do it, right? And so David's asking these other people the same question. They think he's just a talker, right? They think that he's just, you know, just talking. 
Verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, and they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. Now again, David's just a kid, right? Probably a teenager. So imagine, you know, I mean, these are battle-hardened warriors, right? And they see this young shepherd boy saying to them, obviously, if you, would, if you were one of them, you would be skeptical too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. just, you'd look at this guy and go, uh, okay, what are you going to do, right? Mm -hmm. Th this is why I love this story, because this is us. Mm -hmm. We are this dumb-looking little shepherd boy, right? <laughs> um, then Saul, said, uh, Saul says to David, look, you're not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're, just, you're but a youth, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. This is what we were talking about, how God begin, takes you on a progression, right? Mm -hmm. He takes you through that training process. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You get knocked down, you get back up again, right? Mm-hmm and stuff and, and you learn from those things because even Christianity everything that we know in life is a learning process right and even the things of God whatever God has called you to when you first step out in it even, even after you've been doing it for a while you're still going to make some mistakes but you learn from those mistakes right but God will take us on this process of learning because he knows our calling Right? He knows what he's called you to, and he's going to begin to take you and mold you and shape you into that. Um, he's 36, he says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Look what he says. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. So David's, David's hot. right? David's ready to go. Um, verse, uh, verse 39. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed them with his armor. So just like Amy was talking about, there are some times when... And you know what? Sometimes you should be careful about who you tell things to. Yeah? Because, again, sometimes you tell, you, you tell someone, well, this is what I feel like God is calling me into, and they'll begin to tell you how they, want, they think that God wants you to do it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like even when we, we moved to, to Hawaii, when we were moving to Hawaii, we had a pastor tell us, you know what, I don't think God's telling you that. To move to Hawaii. And it's like, well, yeah. really? Because we feel like he is. Right. And that's the thing. No person can tell you what God is telling you to do. And again, you have your own gifts, your own callings. You can't be like Saul. You can't be like somebody else. And imagine, they clothed David with his armor. And again, Saul was the tallest man in Israel. So, and David's just a teenager. So this armor's got to just be hanging all over him and stuff. You know the guys are laughing at him, right? I mean, just put yourself in that situation. You know all these warriors behind Saul are laughing. And they're having a good time. Look, oh yeah, this guy's going to go out and he's going to face this giant that we don't have the guts to face. Um, verse 30. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, look, I can't do this. Right? And again, this is where it comes with knowing our limitations. You are not somebody Chuck else. Swindoll. You are not somebody else. You are you. 
God has created us uniquely. And we as believers need to stop trying to be like other believers and say, well, they do it like this, so I'm going to do it like that. We need to find out how we are supposed to do it. And your way may be totally different. And I guarantee you, when you start doing things differently, someone's going to say, well, you're doing that all wrong. Something interesting about us being told that we, we weren't, God wasn't calling us to move to Hawaii, which was the pastor, is that it turned out to be one of the most anointed seasons of our life together and God using us in really powerful ways. And so it's like what, we almost listened to this pastor and we almost didn't go, and I'm so glad we did. And, and, and that's the thing, too, is that like a lot of times in our spiritual walk, we have been influenced by people that we looked up to and they were wrong. And I, please not understand, not I'm not saying to be rebellious or right, not to right. listen or anything like that, because right. we need to, right. but you have to know what God has called you to, right. right? David's a shepherd boy. He has not been trained with armor and, and swords and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All he knows is his, his staff and his sling. Mm-hmm. That's what he's got. That's what God has given him with, and that is what God has trained him with. I feel like the armor can be a symbol also like the legalism, like, oh, you're going to go do this? Well, here, you need to do it this way and mm-hmm. this way and this way and this yeah. way. And mm-hmm. they start moaning things mm-hmm. on top of you when you really needed to just go. Just go and faith. Yeah. fast and yeah. do what you need to do. And, and again, that's where the voices will come in too. And the voices will say, you know what? This is Saul. He's the king. He knows what he's doing. You should really do it his way and stuff. And I, that's one of the things that's awesome about David is David didn't do it. David knew that that was not what God was telling them to do. And as a general rule, though, David did honor Saul yeah. and respect him and things like that. But in this case, he, he knew right. what God was calling him to do. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. But, uh, He's almost finish? done. You, you want to finish yeah. Your, yeah, well, your story? Let's, let's just finish this up. We'll be done. <laughs> we, can, we can talk till the sun comes up. Okay. Okay, verse 40. He, he took his stick in it. Maybe not. Y'all can do that while I while I sleep. I'm like, I'll spend the night. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so David took his stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So, now, I mean, imagine when David's starting to approach the Philistine. I mean, all these people who are laughing at him, all these people that are like, he's going to wipe you out. I mean... That's got to be going through their their minds, right? They're like, he's going to go out there. It's going to be a two-punch punch fight. Philistine's going to punch David. He's going to hit the floor. All right? Mm-hmm. It says, then, uh, Dave, then the Philistine came on and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. The powers of darkness will disdain you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They're like, who? So... You know, you, you get this, you, and that's why you have to be settled in your own heart because you get it from the enemy, you get it sometimes from your brothers, and you get it from yourself. Mm-hmm. So you have, we have to deal with those things and say, you know what, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to listen to the voices of the enemy. I'm not going to listen to the voices of my brothers. I'm not even going to listen to my own voice or even the voice of the king. Mm. Said when the Philistine looked, uh, verse 43, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, You've come to me with a, uh, with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Look at what he says. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Can you imagine if you're Goliath? You got this kid that's like half your your height, and he's talking this to you, and you're like, I am going, I am going to stomp on you. And again, you, you, at this point, like all the people in Israel are like, oh man, David's fixing to die. <laughs> Nobody believes in him. Yeah. Nobody. Mm -hmm. There's only one person that believes in him, and that's God. Mm, and it's also David because he believes in himself. Yeah. He knows that God will stand with him. Amen. Yeah. Verse 48. Then it happened that the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. That David ran quickly <laughs> toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Again, David's not messing around. David is serious. He's like, you have taunted God and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right mm -hmm. and David David, he's looking him in the eye and he's telling him exactly what he's doing and the Philistines thinking you're full of it but David's like it, it's going to happen <laughs> 49 as David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground it's at this point right here that everybody in Israel goes, oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not only the people in Israel, but the Philistines. Everybody in the whole place, they go, oh. <laughs> and now they're like, okay. I believe now. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's the thing. God is waiting for us to go out and face the enemy, step out, do it. Right? Because it doesn't matter what we talk. It doesn't matter what we say. It's what we do. And when we go out and we face the enemy that's taunting us and the enemy's saying, Shh, you're nobody. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but we're real and we do it in the power of the Lord. Then all of heaven and all, that's every right. spirit being sees that. We got a cloud of witnesses that are yes. watching us yes. and they're spurring us on and they believe in us. Yeah. And Jesus believes in us. He's just saying, like, come on, step up. I know it's scary. I know he's big. Well, and too, like, I think that as we, as we step out and things like that, God shows us his faithfulness and it gives us courage to, to, to step out again. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, like, that, that's what David said, you know. And he said, you know, it's the God who rescued me from, because, you know, as a shepherd, he had to deal with at one point a bear and at one point a lion. And the lion he literally chased at one point. <laughs> um, but he said, the God who delivered me from the bear and from the lion will no. deliver me from this Philistine, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And because he saw God's faithfulness to him up until that point yeah. already. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, and so, again, David wasn't like, well, you know, I'm just this sinner that, you know, God's not going to use. You know, I'm just this nobody and stuff. We're all nobodies, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how you've blown it a million times. It's not about us. It's about God. 
And when we begin to see ourselves through his eyes and like, I'm not just this sinner, but I'm a saint of the most high God. When you realize that you are a saint of the most high God, what can stand against you? And no weapon will form against you shall prosper. Mm -hmm. And that's it, man. We're saints. We're not sinners. We're not, you know, we're, we're saints of God. The thing that he put in David, he has put in every single one of us. We just have to find it. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, y'all can all talk now. Everybody. <laughs>